0: Chapter Two of the Pilgrim's Way from Winchester to Canterbury. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Olivia. The Pilgrim's Way from Winchester to Canterbury by Julia Cartwright. Chapter Two Winchester to Alton. Few traces of the Pilgrim's Way are now to be found in Hampshire but early writers speak of an old road which led to canterbury from winchester and the traveller's course would in all probability take them through this ancient city here the foreign pilgrims who landed at southampton and those who came from the west of england would find friendly shelter in one or other of the religious houses and enjoy a brief resting-time before they faced the perils of the road the old capital of wessex the home of alfred and favourite residence of saxon and norman kings had many attractions to offer to the devout pilgrim. Here was the splendid golden shrine to St. Swithin, the gentle bishop who had watched over the boyhood of Alfred. In A.D. 971, a hundred years after the saint's death, his bones had been solemnly removed from their resting-place on the north side of the Minster, where he had humbly begged to be buried, so that the sun might not shine upon him, and laid by Edgar and Dunstan behind the altar of the new cathedral which Bishop Ethelwald, had raised on the site of the ancient church of Birinus. this was done said the chronicler Withston, although the saint himself protested weeping that his body ought not to be set in god's holy church amid the splendid memorials of the ancient fathers a legend which may have given rise to the popular tradition of the forty days reign and the supposed delay in the saint's funeral from that time countless miracles were wrought at the shrine of st and multitudes from all parts of england flocked to seek blessing and healing at the great church which henceforth bore his name under the rule of norman and angevin kings the venerable city had attained the height of wealth and prosperity in those days the population numbered some twenty thousand and there are said to have been as many as a hundred and seventy-three churches and chapels within its wall in spite of the horrors of civil war which twice desolated the streets in the time of stephen and henry the third the frequent presence of the court and the energy of her prince-bishops had made winchester a centre of religious and literary activity and although after the death of henry the third who throughout his long life remained faithful to his native city royal visits became few and far between and the old capital lost something of its brilliancy there was still much to attract strangers and strike the imagination of the wayfarer who entered her gates in the fifteenth century few medieval cities could boast foundations of equal size and splendour there was the strong castle of Wolversey, where the bishops reigned in state and the royal palace by the west gate built by king henry the third with the fair gothic hall which he had decorated so lavishly there was the hospital of st cross founded by the warrior bishop henry de blois and the new college of st mary which william of wickham the great master builder had reared in the meadows known as the greenery or promenade of the monks of st swithin another venerable hospital that of st john's claimed to have been founded by barinus and on Morn hill just outside the east gate stood a hospital for lepers dedicated to st mary magdalene there conspicuous among a crowd of religious houses by their wealth and antiquity were the two great benedictine communities of st swithin and the hyde and there too was the grand norman church which the conqueror's kinsman bishop walcolin had raised on the ruins of ethelwald's minster with its low massive tower and noble transepts and the long nave roofed in with solid trees of oak cut down in hempage wood three centuries later william of wickham transformed the nave after the latest fashion of architecture cut through the old norman work carried up the piers to a lofty height and replaced the flat wooden roof by fine stone groining but the norman tower and transepts of bishop walcolin's church still remain to-day almost unchanged so great was the concourse of pilgrims to st swithin's shrine in the early part of the fourteenth century that bishop godfrey lucy enlarged the eastward portion of the church and built as it were another church with nave aisles and lady chapel of its own under the same roof the monks had no great love for the lower classes of pilgrims who thronged their doors and took good care to keep them out of the conventual precincts they were only allowed to enter the minster by a doorway in the north transept and once they had visited the shrine and duly made their offerings they were jealously excluded from the rest of the church by those fine ironwork gates still preserved in the cathedral and said to be the oldest specimen of the kind in england Towards the close of the century, in the reign of Edward I, the fine old building, still known as the Stranger's Hall, was built by the monks of St. Swithin at their convent gate for the reception of the poorer pilgrims. Here they found food and shelter for the night. They slept, ate their meals, and drank their ale, and made merry round one big central fire. The hall is now divided, and is partly used as the dean's stable, partly enclosed in a canon's house but traces of rudely carved heads a bearded king and a nun's face are still visible on the massive timbers of the vaulted roof blackened with the smoke of bygone ages in the morning the same pilgrims would wend their way to the doors of the prior's lodging and stand under the three beautiful pointed arches which form the entrance to the present deanery would there receive alms in money and fragments of bread and meat to help them on their journey the route which they took on leaving winchester is uncertain it is not till we approach alton that we find the first traces of the pilgrim's way but in all probability they followed the roman road which still leads to silchester and london along the valley of the river Itchen. immediately outside the city gates they would find themselves before another stately pile of conventual buildings the great abbey of hyde this famous benedictine house founded by alfred and long known as the newminster was first removed from its original site near the cathedral in the twelfth century finding their house damp and unhealthy and feeling themselves cramped in the narrow space close to the rival monastery of st swithin the monks obtained a charter from henry i giving them leave to settle outside the north gate in the year eleven ten they moved to their new home bearing with them the wonder-working shrine of st jos the great silver cross given to the new minster by newt and a yet more precious relic the bones of Alfred the Great. Here in the green meadows on the banks of the Itchen, they reared the walls of their new convent and the magnificent church, which, after being in the next reign burnt to the ground by fireballs from Henry of Blow's castle at Wolsey, rose again from the flames fairer and richer than before. Here it stood until the dissolution, when Thomas Roycey, Cromwell's commissioner, stripped the shrine of its treasures, carried off the gold and jewels, and pulled down the abbey walls to use the stone in building of his own great house at stratton we intend he wrote to his master after describing the riches of gold and silver plate the crosses studded with pearls chalices and emeralds on which he had laid sacrilegious hands both at hyde and st mary to sweep away all the rotten bones that be called relics which we may not omit lest it be thought we came more for the treasure than for the avoiding of the abomination of idolatry considerable fragments of the building still remained in milner's time the ruins covered the whole meadow but towards the end of the last century the city authorities fixed on the spot as the site of a new bridewell and all that was left of the once famous abbey was then destroyed the tombs of the dead were rifled at every stroke of the spade some ancient sepulchre was violated stone coffins containing chalices croziers rings were broken open and bones scattered abroad then the ashes of the noblest of our kings were blown to the winds and the resting place of alfred remains to this day unknown a stone marked with the words alfred rex 881 was carried off by a passing stranger and is now to be seen at corby castle in cumberland today an old gateway near the church of st bartholomew and some fragments of the monastery wall are the only remains of alfred's new minster from this spot an ancient causeway now commonly known as the nun's walk but which in the last century bore the more correct title of the monk's walk leads alongside of a stream which supplied hyde abbey with water for a mile and a half up the valley to Headbourne worthy the path is cool and shady planted with a double row of tall elms and as we look back we have beautiful views of the venerable city and the great cathedral sleeping in the quiet hollow dreaming of all its mighty past above scarred with the marks of a deep railway cutting and built over with new houses is st giles hill where during many centuries the famous fair was held each september foreign pilgrims would gaze with interest on the scene of that yearly event which had attained a world-wide fame and attracted merchants from all parts of france flanders and italy the green hillside from which we looked down on the streets and towers of winchester presented a lively spectacle during that fortnight the stalls were ranged in long rows and called after the nationality of the vendors of the goods they sold there was the street of cane of limoges of the flemings of the genoese the drapery the goldsmith's stall the spicery held by monks of st swithin who drove a brisk trade in furs and groceries on these occasions all shops in the city and for seven leagues round were closed during the fair and local trade was entirely suspended the mayor handed over the keys of the city for the time being to the bishop who had large profits from the tolls and had stalls at the fair himself while smaller portions went to the abbeys and thirty marks a year were paid to st swithin's for the repair of the great church the red king first granted his kinsman bishop walcolin the tolls of this three days fair at st giles feast which privilege was afterwards extended to a period of sixteen days by henry the third the great fair lasted until modern times but in due course was removed from st giles hill into the city itself as the city grew stronger and the fair weaker writes dean kitchen it sled down st giles hill and entered the town where its noisy ghost still holds revel once a year leaving these historic memories behind us we follow the monks walk until we reach Headbourne worthy the first of a group of villages granted by egbert in eight twenty five to saint swithin's priory and bearing this quaint name derived from the saxon worth a homestead the church here dates from saxon times and claims to have been founded by saint wilfrid the rude west doorway and chancel arch are said to belong to edward the confessor's time over the west archway which now leads into a fifteenth-century chapel is a fine sculptured bas-relief larger than life representing the crucifixion and the mary's which probably originally adorned the exterior of the church but the most interesting thing in the church is the brass to john kent a winchester scholar who died in fourteen thirty four the boy wears his college gown and his hair is closely cut while a scroll comes out of his lips bearing the words is a recordium domine in eternum cantabo i will sing for ever the mercy of god next we reach kingsworthy so called because it was once crown property a pretty little village with low square ivy-grown church-tower and Lichgate, and a charming old-fashioned inn standing a little back from the road the third of the worthies abbotsworthy is now united to kingsworthy passing through its little street of houses a mile farther on we reach martyrsworthy a still smaller village with another old norman church and low thatched cottages picturesquely placed near the banks of the river which is here crossed by a wooden footbridge. but all this part of the itchen valley has the same charm everywhere we find the same old farmhouses with mullion windows and sundials and yew trees the same straggling roofs brilliant with yellow lichen and the same cottages and gardens gay with lilies and phloxes the same green lanes shaded with tall elms and poplars the same low chalk hills and wooded distances closing in the valley and below the bright river winding its way through the cool meadows the itchen the beautiful itchen valley exclaims corbet as he rides along this vale of meadows there are few spots in england more fertile or more pleasant none i believe more healthy the fertility of this vale and of the surrounding country is best proved by the fact that besides the town of ellsford and that of southampton there are seventeen villages each having its parish church upon its borders when we consider these things we are not surprised that a spot situated about halfway down this vale should have been chosen for the building of a city or that that city should have been for a great number of years the place of residence for the kings of england towards the Abyss of the abbot the valley opens and we see the noble avenues and spreading beaches of avington park long the property of the dukes of chandos and often visited by charles the second while wren was building his red-brick palace at winchester here the merry monarch feasted his friends in a banqueting hall that is now a greenhouse and a room in the old house bore the name of nell gwynne's closet in those days it was the residence of the notorious lady shrewsbury afterwards the wife of george Bridges, a member of the chandos family the lady whose first husband francis earl of shrewsbury was slain fighting in a duel with george villiers duke of buckingham while the countess herself disguised as a page held her lover's horse the river winds through the park and between the overarching boughs of the forest trees we catch lovely glimpses of wood and water in the opposite direction but also close to itchen abbas is another well-known seat lord ashburton's famous grange often visited by carlisle here the dark tints of yew and fir mingle with the bright hues of lime and beech and silver oaks on the banks of a clear lake and long grassy glades lead up to wild gorse-grown slopes of open down still following the river-banks we reach itchenstoke another picturesque village with timbered cottages and mossy roofs a little modern church with high-pitched roof and lancet windows having a curiously foreign air stands among the tall pines on a steep bank above the stream but here our pleasant journey along the fair itchen valley comes to an end and leaving the riverside we climb the hilly road which leads us into alresford new alresford a clean bright little town with broad street planted with rows of trees boasts an antiquity which belies its name it has been a market-town and a borough From time immemorial like its yet more venerable neighbour old alresford it was given by a king of the west saxons to the prior and monks of st swithin at winchester and formed part of the vast possessions of the monastery at the conquest both places took their name from their situation on a ford of the Arle or alra river a considerable stream which joins the itchen below avington and is called by leland the alresford river In the eleventh century new aldersford had fallen into decay and probably owes its present existence to bishop godfrey lucy who rebuilt the town and obtained a charter from king john restoring the market which had fallen into disuse at the same time he gave the town the name of new market but the older one survived and the bishop's new title was never generally adopted the same energetic prelate bestowed a great deal of care and considerable attention on the water supply of winchester And made the itchen navigable all the way from southampton to Alresford, in recognition of this important service bishop lucy received from king john the right of levying toll on all leather hides and other goods which entered winchester by the river itchen through this canal a right which descended to his successors in the sea southwest of the town is the large pond or reservoir which he made to supply the waters of the itchen this lake which still covers about sixty acres, is a well-known haunt of moorhens and other waterfowl, and the flags and bulrushes which fringe its banks make it a favourable resort of artists. Old Alresford itself, with its gay flower-gardens, tall elms, pretty old thatched cottages grouped round the village green, may well supply them with more than one subject for pen and pencil. New Alresford was at one time a flourishing centre of the cloth trade in which the winchester merchants drove so brisk a trade at st Giles' fair the manufacture of woollen cloth was carried on till quite recent times and dean kitchen tells us that there are old men still living who remember driving with their fathers to the fair at winchester on st giles's day to buy a roll of blue cloth to provide the family suits for the year but new alresford shared the decline as it had shared the prosperity of its more important neighbour and suffered even more severely than winchester in the civil wars when the town was almost entirely burnt down by lord hopton's troops after their defeat in cheriton fight the scene of that hard-fought battle which gave winchester into waller's hands and ruined the king's cause in the west of england lies a few miles to the south of alresford half-way between the two is tichborne park the seat of a family which has owned this estate from the days of harold and which took its name from the stream flowing through the parish and called the tichborne in anglo-saxon records in modern times a well-known case has given tichborne an unenviable notoriety but members of this ancient house have been illustrious at all periods of our history and the legend of the tichborne dole so long associated with the spot deserves to be remembered in the reign of henry i isabella the wife of sir roger tichborne a lady whose long life had been spent in deeds of mercy prayed her husband as she lay dying to grant her as much land as would enable her to give a dole of bread for all who asked alms at the gates of tichborne on each succeeding lady-day sir roger was a knight of sterner stuff and seizing a flaming brand from the hearth he told his wife jestingly that she might have as much land as she could herself walk over before the burning torch went out upon which the sick lady caused herself to be borne from her bed to a piece of ground within the manor and crawled on her hands and knees until she had encircled twenty-three acres the actual plot of ground still bears the name of lady tichborne's crawls and there was an old prophecy which said that the house of tichborne would only last as long as the dying bequest of isabella was carried out during the next six centuries nineteen hundred small loaves were regularly distributed to the poor at the gates on ladies day And a miraculous virtue was supposed to belong to bread thus bestowed the custom was only abandoned a hundred years ago owing to the number of idlers and bad characters which it brought into the neighbourhood and a sum of money equal in amount to the dole is given to the poor of the parish in its stead whether any of our canterbury pilgrims stopped in their course to avail themselves of the tichborne dole we cannot say but there was a manor-house of the bishops of winchester at bishop sutton Alresford, where they would no doubt find food and shelter nothing now remains of the episcopal palace and no trace of its precincts is preserved but the site of the bishop's kennels after crossing the river at Alresford, the pilgrims turned northeast and according to an old tradition their road led them through the parish of ropley a neighboring village where roman remains have been discovered a little further on the same track close to rothersford park Where the modern mansion of Pelham now stands, was an ancient house which bore the name of Pilgrim's Place, and is indicated as such in old maps. End of chapter 2. Recording by Olivia.